Hello, this is A.R. Bernard, and welcome to my podcast. My objective, it's simple, to create a platform where you can be educated, informed, and inspired as you navigate the intersection of faith and culture. If you have no faith, maybe you'll find it here. So, thanks for tuning in. So last week in the second service, we had a gubernatorial candidate here. How many heard about that? Yeah. And this week in the second service, we're having the other gubernatorial candidate so that you can get to hear both. And that's important. And someone asked me, well, why do you bring politics into the church? And I said, well, you put it like that. You made it sound like an invasion that I'm the head of. I said, what you got to understand is the people that I preach to are governed by laws. So if I don't seek to influence the people who are creating those laws that are governing the people I preach to, then I'm falling short of my responsibility as a shepherd. Because my job is to not only feed the sheep, but care for the sheep. This Tuesday is an election. Your vote is your voice. Your voice is your vote. And especially, especially for people of color in this nation. The 1965 Voting Rights Act made it possible for millions of African Americans, Latinos, Asians, and Native Americans to go to the polls to cast their ballot for who would lead this country. And I continue to be puzzled by the fact that in 2006, we had the, the last reauthorization of that act. And I'm trying to figure out why we got to keep reauthorizing it. Why can't we just pass it once and for all instead of giving it an expiration date that we have to continuously revisit, resupport, remind, reshore up, Something's wrong. Something's wrong with that. But this is America. And I thank God for this nation. Because the people who protested couldn't protest it if this wasn't America. Amen? It's an experiment. And since it declared to be itself to be one nation under God, we're going to make sure we keep that active and hold it accountable to its self-declaration. So be smart. Know what the issues are. Don't let media make up your mind. Get information and then make an intelligent decision. Have a conversation. Understand the issues. Don't get distracted by all the stuff. Know what's really important. Know what counts. Amen? Because again and again, I'll say it to you, congregation, politics is power. And when you cast your vote, you're giving someone power. Individually and collectively. Politics is power. Who has it? How did they get it? How are they using it? 
Who's benefiting from it? Should they keep it? These are all the questions that you ask when it comes to political power. So we have a responsibility. And politics comes to us. We don't have to go to politics. Just like it came to Jesus when they tried to challenge him on an issue of taxation. Uh, does your master pay taxes? Who establishes taxation? Government. So we're, they were challenging him on a position concerning the activity of government and its involvement in the daily life of Jewish citizens. So we can't hide. Amen? Amen. We ought to be smart. Nor do we allow it to dominate the Sunday service. So they get three minutes. How much they take? <laughs> we try to keep that under control. We allow a bit of, about five. But it's important because here is where the spirit of truth is. How many heard of the spirit of truth? And in an environment of the spirit of truth, folks can't hide. Folks can't hide. They'll either say something, slip up, you know, whatever it is. But they're going to be revealed to who they really are. And we have to discern and pay attention. Praise the Lord. I um, will not tell you who to vote for. But I'll be very, very clear in demanding that you exercise your right to vote. Enough said? Enough said. Praise the Lord. So, I shared with you God at work. God is actively involved in humanity. He is involved in creation. Creation. So he's still creating. He's involved in providence, the area of providence. He's involved in the area of judgment. And he's involved in the area of redemption. And he's involved at a global level, a national level specific to nations. He's involved in these areas in communities, ethnicities, group identities, right down to the individual, to the individual. So God is at work globally. God is at work in the nations. How many know that God is at work in Russia? In spite of the leadership, in spite of the governmental systems and structures, in spite of what it's engaged in right now with regard to the Ukraine, etc., how many know that God is present? This is important, folks, because we've got to be consistent in our beliefs. This past Thursday, I was asked prior, a week prior, if we could provide voices. Praise and worship is what they asked for at a 
political rally that was being held by 1199 on Thursday at the Sheridan Hotel. Any members of 1199, local 1199, just raise your hands. Hey, uh, come on, aren't you proud of your union there, folks? All right, they're proud of you. <laughs> and it was, it was huge. So I said, you want praise and worship at a political rally? We don't do that. Because we don't want to give the impression that God is Democrat or Republican. And we have to be very careful because historically, can we talk a little bit? Historically, the mighty, those in power, have tried to align their kingdom with the kingdom of Jesus and align their power with Jesus's power. And whenever that happens, it disfigures Jesus's kingdom because people become confused about who Jesus is, what his kingdom is, and what it represents. This has happened historically. So there has to be this distinction. Well, Pastor, well, why do you get involved? I'm glad you asked. Because of what I believe about the presence of God. What I believe about the power of God. So I said, well, I don't recommend praise and worship. Because it's going to be a very diverse audience. And I'm not going to have our praise and worship leaders up on stage trying to get those who don't believe to act like believers. Then it's an act. But I do believe that they can serve a purpose. So I said, here's what we'll do. Let them bring a song to open it up and a song to close it. Good idea, Reverend. This is the only idea. And I spoke with Darwin. I said, Darwin, this is what we're going to do. And I think the song that we should do is God Is, the James Cleveland version. How many are familiar with God Is? Especially the James Cleveland version. And that's all we need to do to open it up. They had a prayer because it was a clergy breakfast, so there were clergy there who were supporting a particular political leaning. And so we had a group of our praise and worship leaders, and Kim Jossie was there, and Nephi was there, and the others. And they got up and blew it up, blew up the spot. Yes. The atmosphere was captured. The atmosphere was arrested by the presence of God. People stood up. And these were clergy, stood up, and after they finished the song, 
They were screaming, encore, encore, one more song, please, one more song. And they're looking at me, and, I, and I'm saying, <laughs> cut it. Cut it. Leave it right there. How many know you got to know when to <laughs> drop the mic? And some people, it gets good, so they hold on to the mic and undo all the good that they did. But you got to know when to just drop the mic. I said, they came off. So many clergy thank me, not just for their presence, but for the choice of song and how they delivered that song. So I asked the question, was God present? in that context. Was God present in that context? This is important. Because there was one time in my Christianity when I didn't really know God the way I know God today. And I didn't understand certain scriptures the way I understand them today. And there were certain places I thought God just wouldn't attend. And I would judge by the morality of the context, by the lack of respect, let's say, for the faith or God. And, and, and I would make a judgment. I would say, mm -mm, God ain't here. Oh, come on, I'm not alone. You did the same thing. God ain't here. And then I realized how disconnected I was in that thinking with Scripture. David said something so profound. He said, if I make my bed in hell. Come on, how many read the Psalm 139? How many read, where can I go from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. Because we cannot believe that God is everywhere present and then say he's not somewhere. That's inconsistent. So the question is never, is God present? In any situation, in any context, the question is, how is God present in this context? Is he creating? Is it providential? Is it in judgment? Is it in redemption? Because he's at work. I'm giving you a framework. So the question, how was he present? How is he present? How many understand what I'm talking about? It blew my mind when I read the story of Abraham going into Canaan. And you got to understand, Canaan was idolatrous. They sacrificed children. I mean, they had things that were totally antithetic to God. And yet God sends Abraham into the middle of the city, the heart of the city. And who does he run into in the heart of the city? Melchizedek. He... We're quick to want to say, well, God ain't there. 
God ain't there. Uh Uh-uh, God ain't here. Mm -mm. Either he's everywhere or he's nowhere. How many of you believe that God is everywhere present? <laughs> These are profound things, deep, and yet simple to understand. Like when, 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 when God meets up with Moses, and, and Moses said, well, who should I say sent me? And he responds by saying, I am. Yeah, I, I get that, God, but who are you? I answered you, Moses. I am. Which simply means he is. Without any qualifications. He just is. Which means he is in the past. He is in the present. And he's in the future. So no matter where we are, he's there. How many believe that about your God? See, you know, we think so much in the physical realm. It's, it's, it's like, you know, when, when Jesus said, I'll be with you always. We think in the terms of the physical as though we could leave without him or leave him somewhere. Listen, you call yourself running from God. All you're going to do is run into him. Turn your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. It's all over your face. Nephi was running from God and ran right into God. Where are you going to go? He's there with you. And you see, when you live in a consciousness of his presence, it's our theme this year. When you live and walk and move and think in a consciousness, with a consciousness of his presence, you don't sing certain songs. Come by here, Lord. Come by here. He's here. I get the song. I understand it. It's fun. But is it theologically accurate? How many believe that God is present? Yeah. The question is, how is he present? Is he present to create? Is he present? Look, what do you think you're saying when you said God will make a way where there is no way? He's working creatively to create a pathway for you out of a situation, a pathway that doesn't exist, at least in your mind. How many believe God is everywhere present? So you can't run from him. You can't escape him. The question is, how is he manifesting himself? How is he manifesting his presence primarily? Is he creating? Is he moving in providence? Is he moving in judgment? Is he acting redemptively? Is that how he's at work? Cannot tell you how many situations God in my life that God has redeemed. What does it mean to redeem? It means to take something bad and make it good. Things that were meant for evil, God turned it around 
for my good. Is there anybody else in here walking this walk? God is at work. So last week, and I will tell you, at, at, how many know we live life on levels? And we arrive and experience life in what? Stages. So we're moving from one what? Level to another. It's, it's, it's life is a, you know, and we just keep levels, levels, stages. We live life on levels. We arrive in stages. And I realize that my life, personally, I have experienced God where all of these things have been active at the same time. God was creating. He was guiding and sustaining. God was challenging existing conditions the objective of change and God was redeeming something all in my life personally I share this with you because guess what I'm feeding you what I personally experience with God I'm just sharing my walk with him is that alright with you See, and when you, when you, when you, when, and this gives you a, the language to put it in the framework in which to think, and it helps you discern God. Because especially in times of crisis, we ask, we ask, where are you? Just like Job did. Job said, I looked for, I looked in all the places he was supposed to be, and he wasn't there. And what Job was actually saying, he wasn't manifesting the way I expected him to or the way I was used to. But he's always there. Always there in your life. Yesterday we had a wonderful staff meeting. How many of you attended that staff meeting? Praise the Lord. Did we have a good time? And I shared a little bit about my past week. And some people think that you get to a place in your life where you don't, because of your relationship with God, don't go through stuff. Pastor, he's got it all together. He's fine. He doesn't understand. Are you serious? Because, listen, we live life on what? And at each new level, there's a new devil. What I'm saying is evil manifests itself differently at each level. And the higher you go, the air gets thinner. See, you can breathe freely down here, but you better know how to breathe up here. Or you better get some help. 
So as you move from one level of life to another, life becomes more intense. It requires greater authority. That's why when you move from one level to another, you move to a new level of knowledge, understanding, wisdom, authority, relationship, and responsibility. You increase in your value as you move from one level to another. And you are tested in life according to your value. So if you're going to increase in value, guess what's going to increase also? The test. And the devil has studied humans. So when he speaks about human nature, it's not prophetic. He's simply talking about what's predictable about human beings. You got that? Because he's had thousands of years to study us. And he refers to human nature. So this past week, Actually, not this past Monday, the Monday before. I was getting ready to go into a meeting at 6 p.m., Zoom meeting, and it was 10 minutes to 6. That's amazing what can happen in 10 minutes with God. How many have ever heard when it rains? Oh, you heard it. And it simply means stuff coming so fast from so many different directions at the same, come on, am I preaching to anybody this morning at the same time? How many have ever been in a situation where it was just coming, coming at you? There were issues that we had to quickly rally to address concerning our development project and preparation to, to sit before the subcommittee on land use for our hearing. And we had to have everything set up because the next day we had to meet at the city council chambers and we had to talk and, and we had to present. And, we, and then some things came up at the last time. So I'm feeling the pressure because now we've got to re re Crunch the numbers. Had to talk to the team real quick, and we were going into a meeting that, that was specifically for that. Three weeks prior to that, I stood up here and I shared with you the movement of seasons, and I shared uh, how what one house that we lived in represented one thing, and then another house represented another, and then the house that we're in now represented rest and legacy. That night, I got a call because my mother was rushed to the hospital. I said, Lord, what about rest? <laughs> Maybe I need to go back and look at the Greek. <laughs> Maybe I misunderstood that word. My mom, you know, we have to just change. Our whole life turns differently. She's 90 years old, she's blind and belligerent. 
She's mom. At times when the, the children become the parents. And thank God that we're here to take care of her. 90 years old. I hope she lives to be 100, because I'm hoping it's in the genes. I got plans. <laughs> We're in the middle of moving from one house to another, the stress of that. Pastor Karen being stressed out because of the move. and She's got stuff that she wants to move over, and yet, you know, she feels her lack of mobility as challenging because there was a time she'd have ran and started packing boxes, and now she's got to wait till the day that she feels up to it. So that's stressing her out. And how many know when your spouse is stressed? Guess what? You got that right. You're stressed. Spouses tend to share their stress. get a call from our charter school that, that, that something that we had to have in time was not prepared because of the failure of a company that we were dealing with, and now we're about to renew our charter for the year. We have to have an audit in. All this is going on, and, and, and Principal Majetta's calling me and giving me the lowdown. And this was all happening between 5 and 6 p.m., and I'm getting ready to go into a meeting. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so at 5.50, exactly 10 minutes before 6, before going into this Zoom meeting, I sat back in, 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 in my home office, <coughs> and I said, Lord, all of this is mentally demanding. I'm trying to find, find the right words because I didn't want to sound like I was complaining. Well, those were my words. All of this is mentally demanding. Have you ever been there? Yeah. You may not have used the words I use. <laughs> you may use some other words. <laughs> Lord, this ain't right. I'm tired of this. I'm fed up. I've been, I, 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 I. Turn your neighbor and say, he's preaching to you this morning. I said, Lord, this is Mentally demanding. And it was one of those few times that God answered me so quickly that it startled me. Usually, his pattern is I've got to discern him after I say a prayer. Or, and I didn't realize those words were prayer. But he answered me so quickly. Have you ever gotten an immediate answer from God that has stunned you? And it's not necessarily that you were on your knees praying. You were just saying. <laughs> he responded so quickly, it startled me. He said, this is the level you're playing at. How do you respond to that? He shut me down. There was no, what, what can I say? I don't want to play at this level. Okay, get out. I'm looking at the benefits of that level. No, I'm saying right here. 
This is the level that you're playing at. And he spoke in language that he knew I could immediately understand. Please, don't think that God speaks in hitherest, witherest, thouest, and doest. <laughs> don't get spiritual on yourself, okay? God speaks in language that you understand. He gives voice to his word and his presence and his power in a way that you understand it. Why is he going to speak to you in a way that you don't understand? What good is it going to do you? And with those words, I knew there was only one answer. I had to step it up. If this is the level that I'm at, which was confirmed by God, and this is the intensity of that level, the challenges that come with that level, the diversity of challenges at that level, I got to step it up. That's it. Done. And I went to work. Checking my schedule, rearranging, checking the rhythm, the work-rest rhythm. I just began a reevaluate. I got on that meeting. We went through that meeting with flying colors. And after that meeting, I spent the evening rethinking and reevaluating how my life was arranged. Because remember, it's a work-rest rhythm. All right? Amen? What Pastor Jamal called what? Battle rhythm. Battle rhythm. Remember that message? That's a good message. How many remember that message? You better have notes on that message. I went back to examine because however you arrange your life creates a rhythm. That rhythm establishes a pattern. And a pattern is simply tendencies that repeat themselves over and over automatically. And if you don't like the pattern that's been established, you go back and examine how your life is arranged. And arrangement means how you prioritize your life. You change that around, and all of a sudden, you create a different rhythm and establishes a new pattern. So let's, in the time we don't have left, quickly go to the book of Job. How many heard of the book of Job? How many heard of Job? Right. And please, it's not Job. It's Job. And, and let's go to chapter 1. And how many read chapter 1 of the book of Job? How many got that far in the book? It's a lot of reading, believe me, 42 chapters or so. It's a lot of reading. But how many read chapter 1? And please understand that Job did not know what was going on behind the scenes. He didn't know. But here's what the Lord brought back to me about this text. After, after I heard those words, because you know, my mind is scripture. I go back to the scripture right away. And in my mind, after he said, this is the level you're playing at, I'm, I'm saying, okay, scripture. And all I heard was three things in this chapter. Go to verse 16. And I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Verse 16, Job 1.16, if we can get it up on the screen. Job 1.16, are you there? Someone came to Job to tell him that the Sabians attacked and swooped down and took away his animals. His livestock was hit. And they killed his servants with the edge of the sword. And this individual, how many know the devil always makes sure there's one to bring you the bad news? Always make sure there's somebody to bring you the bad news. 
But that wasn't what stood out. The words in verse 16 that stood out is, while he was still speaking. Verse 17, more bad news. But look at those words again. While he was still speaking. How about verse 18? Come on, come on. How, I was having a while he was still speaking moment. How many have ever had those? No sooner you're hearing one bit of bad news, other bad news is coming at you. You're getting it by phone, text, and email. And then someone walks in the room to bring it. I was having <laughs> those moments. Let's go to verse 22. Through all this, Job did not sin. Come on. Come on. Nor did he blame God. Now, I've heard this text preached, and what has been mostly preached is how he got down in sackcloth and ashes and began to worship. So the focus was on what he did. But the text here doesn't focus on what Job did. It focuses on what Job did not do. That's what God is highlighting. The worship is wonderful, but what God points to in the text is what Job did not do. And how many know what you do not do can save you from a situation? Can save you from unraveling? Can save you from falling prey to a situation? It's what you refuse to do that keeps you and protects you and builds a boundary and a hedge around you. Can I tell you how many times I said, I'm not going in that direction? Because how many know the invitation comes? And sometimes the invitations come fast and furious. Job is praised not for what he did, and what he did was wonderful. He worshiped, but he was praised for what? Come on, what he did not do. Come on. He was praised for what? Come on, he was praised for what? Two things he didn't do. What are they? Come on. He didn't sin. How many of those situations can cause you to sin? Especially when they come fast and furious. To violate your moral standards, to violate boundaries. I mean, on and on and on. Situations can come and set you up. Where you think sin is the only alternative. And it's what you don't do in that moment that establishes who you are. It reinforces your relationship and trust with God. He refused to sin. He refused to allow life's challenges to cause him to act differently than what he claimed to be. And I cannot tell you, Jesus said the biggest problem with those in power, whether it's political power, economic power, religious power, is hypocrisy. He called it leaven. 
because it works behind the scenes. Ultimately, he refuses to sin, and the next thing, he doesn't blame God. And isn't that what people do? Do you understand why Satan said in this chapter, you read it, Satan said to God, you put a hedge around him, you blessed him. Take it all away, and he will curse you to your faith. Satan wasn't being prophetic. He was simply predicting human nature. The predictable response by humans to situations like this is that they're going to get mad at God. Blame him. And isn't that what people do? And even to us, when we go through stuff, those people who challenge our faith, where's your God now? Why didn't he help you? Why didn't he step into that situation? A am I preaching to the air? Is there an amen in the house? Satan's telling God, I'm predicting exactly what he's going to do. I'm going to tell you what he's going to do. He's one of those human beings. And Job shocked the devil. And remember, Job didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. He didn't know about the conversation between Satan and God. He didn't know about all the stuff that was going on in the unseen realm. He did not have that advantage that you and I have. He did not have the word, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. He didn't have it. So what did he have? <laughs> Joe's faith was anchored in three things. Three things, you need to know them. Number one, number one, his faith was what? His faith was what? I can't hear you. His faith was what? His faith was what? If you're going to have faith, make sure it's anchored. And be very clear on what it's anchored in. Number one, Joe's relationship with material and spiritual prosperity was an anchor for his soul. What was that relationship? I'm glad you asked. He understood that material and spiritual prosperity are gifts from God that can be given and taken away. He had a very righteous and mature relationship with material things. He wasn't going to judge God by his material or spiritual prosperity or lack thereof. And in our day and time, you know, people judge you, you know, if you're blessed, <laughs> if you got a lot of stuff, God must be blessing you. I'd like to see what your Bentley does in the mud desert of Kenya, Africa. <laughs> I never forget my first trip to Jericho, all right? 
when we got off the bus, the tour bus, there were taxis lined up at a taxi stand. They were yellow, yellow cabs, and they were all Mercedes Benz. And I said, go figure that. In America, a Mercedes is a status symbol. In Jericho, it's a taxi. Job's faith was anchored by his relationship with material and spiritual prosperity. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And he was reasoning because it wasn't God taking it away from him. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And then he says, what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to bless God no matter what my condition. There's no negotiation. He understood the false sense of security that material wealth can give you. And even spiritual prosperity can give you a false sense of security. It's easy for a preacher who God continues to anoint for the sake of the people to think that he's okay even though his life is a mess. Just because God is blessing the people when he ministers. So false security can come in with regard to material prosperity and spiritual prosperity. Because I know some preachers live in a double life. Number two, his trust was in God's providence. What is providence? I'm glad you asked. God guiding and sustaining humanity, but especially those in covenant relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Is that anybody in here? He believed that God was guiding and sustaining his life. So any lack that he experienced would be for a season and a reason. And if you, how many got to the end of the book of Job and find how, how multiplied his life became? And what he went through was less than a year. It took less than a year for all that he went through. So he trusted in God's providence. Number three, he trusted God's character. God is just. He trusted in the justice of God, which means God is fair. Justice is fairness and equity, and it flows out of God's holiness. He trusted the character of God. And that's why if you don't know God's character, if you don't know his nature, if you don't understand that, how can you be secure? It's like being in a relationship with a person where you're not sure who they are. Because if you're not sure who they are, you're not sure what they're going to do in any given situation. But if you know who they are, and they're true as best as they can as a human being to their nature, guess what? You can trust that. That's why when his wife told him, why don't you curse God and die? He said, you speak like a foolish woman. <laughs> and here's the beautiful thing. 
Job was ignorant. Let me close with this. Job was ignorant of what was going on behind the scenes. But here's how Job summed it up. Though he slay me, which means just in case he's behind all this, it's still all right. Yet will I trust him. Which speaks of the humility you need to accept that you don't know everything. So you don't have the position to judge God. Because that's exactly what we do. We judge God by what's happening in our lives. You need to know God personally. My God. Did you hear what Paul said? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. It was personal. So as you move from one level of life to another, new level, the intensity increases, the demands increase. And if you don't want to play there, get out. Retire. Leave. Because God is not going to change the world to make you comfortable. He's going to change you to impact the world. Did you get anything out of this today? Come on, give God a good hand clap offering. Let's stand to our feet. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I may not understand what's going on, but I'm, it's not going to shake my trust in God. I know in whom I have believed. And I know he's able to keep what I commit to him against that day. Come on, slap high five with three people. Tell them I got that word today. Minister Reggie is going to come and he is going to lead us in prayer and he's going to dismiss you. I'm going to exit stage left. Keep me in your prayers. I love you, family. God bless. Are you overwhelmed like I'm overwhelmed by that word? Is the word still working in you right now like it's still working in me? Well, you know, so many notes, but my mind is on those who may be watching online or who may have been invited by a friend who attends here. And maybe this is your first time here, or maybe not. Maybe you've come a couple of times, but you may, you, you may not have made that decision yet. There's something that was said in, in the book of Job, Pastor, that when I read it, it blessed me. Um, I just want to read it to you. Let me open up my... It's in, it's in Job chapter 1. Because Pastor said years ago, I remember Pastor saying that God takes 
and is responsible for us. And I remember reading this particular verse in, in, in Job chapter 1 that kind of settled something for me. And I, I want to share it with those of you who may not have made that, that decision yet. But it's in Job chapter 1, um, verse 8. Because when I first read the book of Job, I misread it because I thought when the Bible says that Satan also went into God's presence. When the angels went to meet with God, Satan was also there. But it was God who says this because Satan was looking for someone to devour, someone to mess up, right? And God says, have you considered my servant Job? That messed me up. Because it was God who presented Job to Satan. But the other words that, that made it beautiful was he said, my servant. He was taking responsible, responsibility for Job. He knew what was coming. And he, ha he had already planned Job's success. You may be going through something right now. And it don't make any kind of sense. And it hurts. And you've been attacked. And while you were yet speaking, things were happening. But as Pastor also shared, God is working behind the scenes. You don't know. But he's working on your behalf. All you have to do right now is just to make the decision to just trust him. Give him everything. You heard Nephi's testimony. She was going through so much that she figured, I might as well just check out. But God was working behind the scenes. And she's been faithful to God ever since. So I want to encourage you this morning. Those of you who are here. Those of you who may be watching online. Don't give up on God. God is cons has considered you. Consider him. So if you're here right now, I want you to lift up your hands. Lift up your hands high. I see that hand. For those of you who are here and you've never made that confession, let me, let me be clear. You've never made that confession before and you hear God speaking to you and maybe you've been dodging it because you've been trying to do it in your own strength, your own way, and it hasn't been working. And you want to give your life to God right now, raise your hand. That's who I'm talking to. Lift it high so I can see if you're here. Amen. I don't see no hands, so thank God. Those of you know God personally, but if you're, if you're online, if you're at home and you're watching and your hand may be up, let me pray for you right now. Father God, I thank you right now for that man, that woman who has been going through so much turbulence, so much turmoil, so much unrest, so much conflict that they, they couldn't see or couldn't understand that you're working. And so, Lord God, now that they've come to this point of surrender, Lord God, I ask that you would cover them and open up their eyes so they can really see and open up their hearts so that they can really receive you. Open up their ears so they can continue to hear you speak words of life like you spoke to Nephi. Words of life that you spoke to Pastor. Words of life that you spoke to me that you have turned our lives around. And so if you're home, I want you to repeat these words after me. Say, Lord, 
here I am. Everything I am, everything I'm not, I give it to you. I trust you this morning with my life. Thank you for hearing my cry. Thank you for understanding my situation. Thank you for considering me. I love you this morning, Lord. I am yours. I am yours. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give them praise. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Was this good? Amen. This was good. This was good teaching. Thank you, Pastor. Come on, give Pastor a praise, a, a hand clap. Give him encouragement. He asked for prayer. He shared that he's going through stuff like all of us are going through stuff. Amen. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, I'm full today. This, this table was full of food. Some good stuff. Amen. Let's say something good as we leave this place, but never God's presence. Jesus is Lord, period. We believe it. We proclaim it. And we're seeing it come to pass. God bless you. Have an incredible week in the Lord. Thanks for tuning in to the A.R. Bernard podcast. I hope you were enriched by the information and or the conversation. Make sure subscribe by clicking the link in the bio to gain more information about me and the work that I'm doing. Again, thank you and God bless. Thank you.